Welcome to Sneaker Dads, I'm John Ratner. I want to thank everyone for the ongoing support, especially for the last episode with Dan from Anthem Shop. If you missed it, go back and listen as we talk about his experiences and perspectives on both sneakers and hats. This week we dive deep into vintage and Adidas with Bassler's Finest. Julian has some fascinating stories and a passion that's hard to match. Let's get into it. Julian, welcome. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Uh, thank you for getting me on so quickly. This is my first one, by the way. Uh, and I reached out to you a few weeks ago, and I'm really looking forward to uh, having a chat. Hopefully, all those uh, people from back home in England, where I'm from originally, can decipher the slightly Americanized version of my language. When I go home, people think I'm from America. And when I'm in America, people think I'm from England. So right in the middle. I think I think the balance will be uh, will be accepted by uh, by both sides. And um, thanks again for doing this. It's great to have you on. We have a lot to talk about. But um, before I start, um, actually, tell us before we go into the usual what's in rotation, just before we started recording, um, funny enough, you got a text from your son. Well, my son's supposed to be studying right now. Let's see, it's 11.10 in the morning here, Eastern Time. And he just sent me a message, just bought a pair. Uh, I'm not even sure what they are. I mean, I can... They must be the... Oh, Sakai Blazers, it looks like. I was going to say... Oh, okay. I was okay, going to so... say Jordan 11 uh, Cool Grays. That would have been my guess. But uh, no, that's that looks like the Sakai Blazers. Yep. Uh, I don't know any more about that shoe, but that's I, definitely I guess one they, of those. I guess they've just come out maybe on a raffle or something. He enters every raffle known to man and ve- and and just like everybody else, very few people actually win them, you know, because so many, so many people are entering. So yeah, he's happy. So that's made his day. Is he, well, we'll talk about your son more later, but is he actually in class or when you say studying, is, is he at home? No, he's in class. He's yeah. in school. I'm sure he's on a spare or recess or something. They have that in high school, right? Recess. Well, they do, <laughs> but, but but if if if, there, if there's a raffle available, whatever else is going on becomes secondary for a brief moment in time. And I'm sure. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm even entering raffles for him when, so we'll have a double shot of trying to get it, you know, for him. So. That's exactly that's the, what I was going to ask if, if he hits you up for the raffles. and Oh, my God, does he ever. All so day long, every day. Do so you have a sneakers app? He does. He's, he just... Oh, do uh, you? He just, do you do I? No. Um, <laughs> You've held off because, on that? Because most of the, the stuff that I go after is not as in demand as what he's going after. Yeah, no, so, I meant for him, for him, you could, he could probably use another sneakers, but I guess if you're entering raffles, those are the tough ones, the, the yeah, high yeah, demand, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he has a couple, he has a couple of apps that help him out. <laughs> Good. Well, we'll talk more about your son, um, but let's go to what's in the rotation. Do you have a rotation? Do you wear pairs regularly? Do you dig out old pairs that you forgot about or, or what do you usually wear on feet or what are you wearing these days? Well, I probably have between, I don't know, 20 or 30 pairs 
that are for wearing. Uh, when I go to the gym, I pretty much wear boosts, uh, NMDs, just because of the comfort factor. Um, I used to have some made in the USA 991 New Balance, uh, but they fell apart. But I have a lovely pair coming over. I think I showed you a picture of them. The 1500 made in England. I'm just waiting on them to arrive. Uh, mm. I'm not sure they'll be my gym shoe because they're a bit too nice a quality, in my opinion, for it, you know, to, to get all beat up at the gym. So right now I have two pairs of boost shoes and depending on which day of the week it is, I just throw them on, go to the gym, spinning class, you know, doing the weights, etc. And, uh, they're just for comfort, you know, outside of that, um, let's see, I'm a big fan of the, some of the eighties models by Adidas. Uh, they've done a superstar eighties. They've done a campus eighties. They've done a uh, Stan Smith 80s. And there's something about the way they've shaped the sole. It gives it a little bit more of a refined look, in my opinion. So I have Stan Smith 80s from, I think, 2008, and they're still going. Uh, Superstar 80s. Uh, some Diodora uh, Borgelitz, the reissue with the gold stripe. Diodora Ed Moses. Uh, I think they're called the Queen. They, they're not the leather, the famous leather kangaroo model that uh, Ed used to wear back in the day, but it's a copy book made out of nylon. Uh, see some night joggers, which is an Adidas shoe originally made in France for running. It used to have some like luminous detail on so you could see it at night if light hit the shoe. Like that's why it was called night jogger. Mm -hmm. What else am I wearing? Uh, some ZX. 630s in like an off-white with like a really vibrant lime yellow detail. Some handball, special, and Grand Slam, Forest Hills. Oh, a Nike Omega Flame, okay. which are, I'm not sure if you're, if you're familiar with those. Basically, early 80s, Nike had a lot of nylon running shoes lot a lot and there was one called pegasus yeah. and the omega flame is based on the pegasus but the colorway is a red yellow fade throughout the shoe so you can pretty much see someone wearing them from like 300 feet you know they're, they're extremely in your face but i have been wearing those because I've been going to a couple of sneaker conventions with my son. So to fit in with 99% of everybody else, that's what I've been wearing. So where I come from, we see, we say Nike. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, how, what am I going to say on the podcast? Shall I say Nike <laughs> or shall I say Nike? So I might, I might go back and forth, but sure. so yeah, uh, I just got back from Atlanta on Sunday evening because we spent the day, wheeling and dealing my son was trading and stuff like that and so we got back late on sunday so yeah that, so that pretty much that's it that's what i've been wearing lately cool well it's snowing here so i'm pretty much in all leather shoes these days the suede is at least put away temporarily um so it's dunk lows and uh leather leather air maxes and uh 
Um, I have a few leather New Balances, and um, I have a couple pairs of winterized Stan Smiths that Size did a while back, so those are coming back out. Um, I never see those, so I love to wear those now, and some leather stands and, and things like that. Because you've got a Size in Canada now, right? We do. We have one in Toronto downtown, and they have their own website, so it's nice to, uh, to have a new player in the market. Um, always nice to have more choice. And um, it's a nice shop. I've been down there once. And um, yeah, they have some different stuff. So it's it's always cool. You know, you talked a lot about what you're wearing. And I think that's a good reflection of your collection. I want to talk more about your collection. But before we do, can we take it back sort of, sort of your, some of your earliest memories or earliest experiences with sneakers? Did it start as a kid or later in life? It started as a kid. Um, and kind of similar to you, you kind of started, I, I started out on like the entry level stuff, you know, I didn't go right into the top of the line. So there was, Adidas had a set of shoes that were in traditional, just black leather with white stripes. You had the Samba, and then you had a Bamba, a Mamba, and a Kick. The Kick was the entry level shoe probably about nine pounds at the time um and that was my first leap into the adidas world uh and the older guys had transitioned into like samba which was the top of the line at that time of the shoe and it wasn't a traditional samba that we see that's used for like soccer uh, with the gum sole this was more of a, a big white uh, toe piece protector. It was, you know, it was more of a, an, a shoe that was worn by like, like 15, 16 year old guys, you know, instead of like 11, you know, I didn't see many younger guys wearing Samba. It's like you had to go through a, a phase to get there, you know, and I was still on kick. And then as time went on, and you get a little bit older, your desire to get the next pair is just around the corner. And it's usually, you're always trying to go the, the next step forward. You know, you don't, you don't go backwards. Of, you know, they've got to be the next level. So back in the, back in the, the day that I was growing up, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, a big influence is what the older guys were wearing at school, you know, and I like those, I like those. And the availability of certain shoes wasn't like it was today, back then, you know. Uh, global distribution was, was, not, was unheard of. You know, back then, for example, Adidas had factories in Germany, Yugoslavia, France, and shoes that were made for those markets didn't always end up in the UK or, or even in the US. You know, I, I look at some catalog scans that I've got from like the late 70s and early 80s. And we, you know, the US and the UK were only getting a fraction of what was being produced. So now it's hard to even understand that, you know, that, hey, this shoe was made in France, but it really only Switzerland got it and maybe uh, Holland 
because of they were right next door. And then to jump over the, the, the North Sea to make it to the UK, not every pair did. So that leads you back to when some of the older kids I knew started going to Europe for vacation. They would then see models of shoes that were no one had ever seen in the UK. They weren't available, you know. So they started bringing shoes back from holiday. And, and, and you know, Liverpool Soccer Club was very uh, successful in the 70s and 80s. And a lot of their games would be overseas. So their supporters would go and they would bring stuff back that no one had ever seen. Uh, not just footwear, but clothing. You know, Sergio Tashini, Fila, uh, Alessi, um, a variety of Italian brands that came over. And, that, and then that whole started a whole new culture of people who were looking like tennis players, even though they never knew how to pick up a racket. You know, dressed in Fila, with a pair of, you know, Adidas Lendl's or, or whatever it was. And so it was a progression from the entry-level shoe. And some of my first shoes were like Adidas SL80, Adidas Columbia, Forest Hills 82. There was just, and, and back then they were all made in Europe. So, so the quality was was pretty nice, you know, high high quality leathers and suede and workmanship, and I I think I got a pair of Nike Wimbledon, which was what McEnroe used to wear, white leather with a blue swoosh, and around eighty six, eighty five, eighty six, I actually have a pair of vintage in my collection from eighty one, because I've always loved that shoe because I associate that shoe with John McEnroe, yep. you know? So I know we're, got, we're going to talk about that later, but there's certain, there's just certain clothing and certain shoes you just associate with, with a sporting legend of some, you know, of something. When I see Borg, I think of Deodora. I think of Fila. When I see McEnroe, I think of Tashini. So yeah. it all just stems from growing up, you know, and it, it's, it's, it's never left me, those, those kind of visions of being a kid and seeing them play tennis and stuff like that. So it sounds like it never really, there wasn't a turning point where it got more serious. It was, a, it was an evolution and maybe just gradually one day you realized, oh, I have 20 pairs, or I have all these boxes. Is that sort of fair to say? Yeah, I, w I would say that probably in my late teens when, you know, I started working and the call for a different look became a little bit more sensible, so to speak. I started to, you know, I always had a pair or two knocking around, but I moved into more, you know, dress shoes, uh, proper shoes, proper, you know, Italian clothing, sweaters, dress shirts, got a little bit away from the youthful me. And then back on in later life, you know, there was one or two pairs that I saw. It's like, oh my God, I remember I used to have them as a kid. And that, and it, it started from there, you know, 
it like the, the flame reignited uh <laughs> just just from the just from seeing especially harpets in san francisco uh that's where i started seeing some of the stuff i had as a kid and it, it all really started from then probably 20, 20 about 20 years ago yeah that nostalgia is very powerful i want to talk a little bit about you shared some of your current rotation but what is the collection some people don't like the name collector looking at your background i think you could pro you, you probably fair to call yourself a collector but whatever you want to call yourself um what, what what are you what, what are you into i i know you're big into adidas and and but there's obviously other brands and and tell us tell the listeners who who don't know you maybe a little bit about what 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 you're most passionate about i, I think you know yeah you've touched on it i think if if i had to pick a category and there's so many categories you, you know you've got you've got tennis you've got soccer you've got uh, basketball you know i know people that just collect top tens and forums and and then you've got people that collect this element of a brand or but for me there's always been something about and it's probably from when i was a kid growing up and seeing the people i've mentioned before the likes of bjornborg so i've got several bjornborg originals from you know the early 80s late 70s with his signature on back then they were made in italy i've got several of i've got a lot of vintage adidas tennis shoes uh multiple lendals going back to robert haley uh, are you familiar with that name rings a bell um but okay. i can't say i know his shoes okay. Robert Haley uh, was a French tennis player in the 60s. And he was, he had an endorsement for a white tennis shoe. And as his career faded out and the shoe evolved into what we now know as the Stan Smith, Adidas needed to rename the shoe. So... Now, a story I heard, there was a couple of years where the shoe had Stan Smith on the side printed, but on the tongue, it had Haley with Stan's face. And apparently this was done because the retailers didn't want there to be such a the Haley was such a uh, popular tennis shoe that the retailers wanted the transition to slow down. We don't go from Haley to a new, a, who's this guy kind of so quickly, you know, imagine rebranding Jordan the next day to somebody else. It's like, what, how could that? So, so here we have, this is from the mid, this is from around 74, I think this shoe. But if you look and you can see on the tongue, there it is. So Stan Smith's face, Haley text on the tongue, and it's got yeah. the Stan Smith writing on the side. So that was like a called like the transitional shoe for the Stan Smith. But there were several models before this model that didn't have anything to do with Stan. But back then, 
and there's the box label. This is Stan Smith's signature, and it's got both of their names hyphenated. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So huh. this was only made for a very small amount of time, as it tra- and then all of a sudden, Haley was dropped, and we now have Stan Smith. So uh, pretty much any iconic tennis shoes. Um, I've got Billie Jean King, Rod Lavers, Edberg, Stefan Edberg. Uh, that period of time just captured me as a kid. Uh, there was something about seeing these guys walking on onto Centre Court in Wimbledon or the French Open, dressed out, you know, in their beautiful Italian clothing, with these great shoes on. And, and it really inspired uh, a whole look where I lived. You know, as I said earlier, people used to walk around like they were about to go on center court and they didn't even own a tennis racket. So that's how much that those kind of guys inspired uh, people's look back then. So that's always stayed with me, and I've always loved Bjorn Borg. I've just, you know, I've read some books on him, and I, I just, he was the man for me back in the day, you know, when he was so dominant a tennis player. And then McEnroe kind of edged him out, and then it moved on to him, and then the next guy, and then you had Boris Becker, and all these, you know, all these greats of that little time period back then. So, that's really stuck with me over the years. And as I got into collecting, they are the models that I went after, you know, plus models that I also owned as a kid. They were the peripheral of the collection. But if I had to say, if there's a part that I really, really I'm more focused on it's the it's the tennis and I have a variety of Lendl clothing bags sweatbands t-shirts sweaters all the stuff from the original stuff um you know so yeah that that's that's what stayed with me uh, and cuz back in the day I couldn't afford you know a, a feeler tracksuit top made in Italy when I was a kid they were expensive, expensive items, you know? And um, so it was almost like wishful thinking that I could wear one of those, you know? So, but I absolutely love, love that, that era. And, and that's what's definitely defined what I go after, you know? You know, what's cool and not to make it a competition, but often people talk about the, the Nike library, the archive of all these classic models that they could pull in. But when you look at Adidas, um, there's a vast, vast, huge, huge library that they could also pull in. But you also talked about those shoes that, you know, I had Alex Suji Seiferson's on a, a while back, who, who you may know from the Adidas community. And he talked about how the folks in Germany wanted a pair of his shoes because they didn't have it. And, and I think, it, if I'm not mistaken, it was one of these pairs that came from Europe and it was kind of a mystery to most of the people. And I, you talked about, you know, factories in Yugoslavia and, and different things and, and pairs that are coming that not only did people not know, but even now some of the most 
dedicated collectors they have never seen that before because it was it was in a limited run so i think that's really cool when it comes to adidas i'm sure it applies to some of these other brands but is that behind some of your passion the hunt that you know maybe this shoe i never even knew existed could pop up i mean are you looking for those uncovered gems these days or or is it, I, is it hard I, I would say um probably every year through the people that i chat with and see on social media every year one or two if not more shoes pop up that nobody's seen before uh from from the adidas archive um uh, because you know, nobody's seen them in a catalog, you know, because Adidas were producing catalogs in the 50s and 60s. So a lot of what they were producing, you would think, is kind of documented somewhere. But I see a couple of models every year that don't have a name on, that nobody's, and, and some of the people I converse with, they are like real experts. You know, I mean, some of the guys I know have written books on the on sneakers about Adidas and stuff like that. So they really know their stuff. And every now and again, a shoe floats in that somebody found somewhere that nobody's ever seen before. Nobody knows the model name. And, you know, it's almost called the unknown shoe. You know, but yeah. there's several unknown shoes out there that nobody um, nobody knows what they are. With in regards to me, I usually buy something that, as soon as I see it, ignites something. You know, um, I'll show you a shoe that I found. Luckily. Uh, about mm, six, six, seven years ago. It was a real fluke find. I was on eBay one day and I, Goodwill in Texas, have, had a, a seller's account and they had this orange pair of shoes that I'd never seen before. Now, I don't know whether you're familiar with a shoe called the Adidas Mexicana. It's very similar to an old-style gazelle, produced in the 60s, early 70s. It's usually in a yellow with black stripes or maybe a, an orange with black stripes. Very traditional gazelle-looking shoe. Yep. So I see this orange version. I'm like, what, what is that? And then I look and read the little verbiage. Apparently, a trainer or a sports director or somebody at the University of Texas had donated these to Goodwill and they were made in the colors of the university and they go back to they're about from 1970 and they were up for auction it was an auction so I did some research I went online I found where the Goodwill store was in Texas I found where the online phone number was and I called them up and I said, hey, I said, you guys have a pair of shoes that are on your website right now that I would like to pay $300 for. I buy it now. So she said, let me contact my manager. She went and spoke to the manager. He agreed. They did a buy it now and I bought them. 
So these are them. So it's a burnt orange. Uh, now these are pre-trefoil. So there's no Adidas logo because that didn't come out till about 72. Mm. And then there was a little note attached. University of Texas athletic trainer, just like you said, yep. Huh. So this is the note from the seller. Yeah. And the there was a, a book that came out that some guys I know did, and th these appeared in the book. And as far as we know, or as far as anyone knows, as far as I know, I haven't seen another pair. I don't think maybe another pair does exist in the back of someone's closet, <laughs> possibly from, but it's fit. We're getting on for 50 plus years now. Yeah. So that was just a, an example of um, what can happen when you're browsing, you know, and I don't browse anywhere near as much as I used to. I mean, I used to be obsessed with it, you know, day and night, day and night, but uh, it's definitely slowed down a lot. You know, I'm very, I've got so many pairs. I'm quite choosy on what I want because there's not a lot that I want being honest with you, you know, I was going to ask, are there specific pairs you're still looking for? Do you have what you want? And it sounds like it's more it's more exciting to find things that you don't know you're looking for. I know I feel yeah, that way. Yeah, I'd say if there's a couple of pairs that I'd love to have, uh, I've got several of the Bjorn Borg signature models that were made in Italy, the originals. But I do not have the classic white leather with the gold stripe which are like the most recognizable Borg shoe, in my opinion. I've got the blue stripe, I've got the red stripe, but I do not, I've got various reissues with the gold stripe, but not the true, true uh, white leather, which was kangaroo leather back then, and the gold, gold Deodora uh, sign, sorry, the stripes. And then also back in the 80s adidas did what's called a leisure shoe range proper shoes uh, that you would wear for school or going out or whatever and i had a pair as a kid called palermo all the leisure shoes seem to be made in yugoslavia and there was the pair that i had as a kid there are a couple of pairs out there they're expensive I would love to have Palermo. Now, these are an example of what they used to look like. People would call them geography teachers' school sho uh, shoes mm -hmm. right now. But these from the early 80s, made in Yugoslavia. Um, and this was the style of leisure shoe that they were coming out with back then. So just and to describe it to the listeners, it looks maybe like a Rockport upper, maybe, or something dress shoey. And it's got, it looks like the sole is a little bit uh, softer than, or much softer than a dress, dress shoe. It's almost yes, like a rubber, yeah. like a rubber yeah, yeah. Adidas sole, but on a, on an upper that is, is much more formal. Yeah. So the pair that I had were in like a tanned leather and I absolutely love them. And I know a lot of people my age had them as well. Uh, and they would love to have a pair 
you know, love to own them. So there was a lot of different styles. It was so funny when you think about it, these young kids wearing leisure shoes. Here's another pair. Oh, that's got the tassels even. It's even more, more dressy. It's the brown, brown sole. Yeah, you could mistake that for a dress shoe any day. Yeah, yeah. So these were the type of shoes that they were producing back then. And people would want them. Well, I wanted mine for my school shoes. You know, when you, you go start the new school year, you usually get a new outfit to school that your parents buy you, or, you know, new, new trousers, new this, new that. So they were my school shoes. Uh, the one, the ones that I'm after are a very similar tone of leather to this, just a different style shoe. So it would be those, the Borgs, and possibly a couple of more of the Lendl models. But the only thing is the Lendl models I have in my collection now have not deteriorated with age. The, the composites of the sole are still intact. And a lot of the Lendl models that I would like to have in my collection, there's really zero chance of a pair that's surviving intact. You know, I'd basically be buying an upper with a crumbled, sticky, gooey mess, which I have some of those in my collection. You know, I have a pair of uh, TRX that were made in the USA and the soles completely crumbled, you know, but, you know, out of all the pairs that I've got, only a handful are actually in a state of deterioration. So I've kind of got quite lucky, really, you know. Speaking of that, I'm curious how you store your collection. Is there anything special you do? I see the sneakers behind you, the Adidas are mostly in their boxes. There's some clear cases. Is there anything you do differently or do you just keep them dry and cool? Yeah, just keep keep them dry, uh, you know, room temperature. Uh, in an ideal world, that will have something like the Archive in Germany where they have like a real cool temperatured room. That's uh, not quite fridge temperature, but certainly not room temperature. Um, and we can talk about that later. I did get to visit the archive in Germany. Oh, please tell and me. You want to hear that? Yeah, of course. Uh, do you want to hear the, the backstory, how it of happened? Of course. Or... Tell, okay. tell okay. it all, please. So I do a thing on my Instagram page where I do mock-ups of shoes. You know, I'll take a sole from one shoe and a, an upper from another shoe and maybe lower the toe box or change the color, blah, blah, blah. And I've been doing it for years. And uh, I call them no such things. And I post them and, you know, people like them or hate them. Fine. It's it's no such thing. It's funny how people get so uh, fired up over a no such thing. But anyway, so back in 2017... Uh, I did one of a shoe that I've always loved. And it was, wasn't was a, a big redesign by any means of the shoe. All I'd really done was lowered the toe box of the shoe uh, because there was a wrap around the front of the shoe. And I found that over the years, it had become too, uh, too prominent and made the, the front of the shoe look quite bulbous. So I did this no such thing and, you know, thought nothing of it. And then back in November of 2017, I get this message on my inbox. 
and I look at the guy's profile and he's he's a, a designer or something with the originals line in Germany. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, someone's trying to wind me up here. And he was curious about the shoe that I'd done. And long story short, they wanted to bring back the shoe in a slightly redesigned manner. But they didn't have one in the archive in Germany. And I said, well, I have a 2002 sample shoe that I can show you. Um, and it is loosely based on the no such thing model that I created. And he said, great. He said, can you send it to us so we can, you know, try and build a new shoe based on your sample? I said, sure. So I sent them this shoe in December of 2017. You may be familiar with the model. It's just a, it's called the Handball Special. It's been going since the 70s and over the years it's slightly changed. But anyway, this wrap around the toe here got really, really high up on the shoe. And it started to make, in my opinion, started to make the shoe look a little bit weird. So they wanted to scale it back. And then I think they slightly moved the heel wrap back to, you know, just gives the shoe a bit of a different look. So this is the sample from 2002 that I sent over to Germany and they had it for six months while they were doing their thing. And, you know, we'd communicate via email, uh, what was going on, et cetera, et cetera. And they sent me a sample of the shoe, the new shoe, probably in around April or May of 2018. And along with that little package, they sent me a shoe that they'd made for me, you know, um, that wasn't a retail shoe. And so they've asked that I never post it on social media, uh, which sucks, but I'll follow their guidelines. And so, yeah, so that was a really nice moment for me as a fan and as a collector to be involved in something like that. And, um, and so what led to that? So this is May of 2018. In June of 2018, I'd, I had a trip planned to Austria and Germany because it was a family member's 80th birthday and everyone was going over there to you know, have a celebration. So I was in Munich for a few days um, and the people at Adidas knew I was coming over. So they said, why don't you come and spend the day with us at the headquarters? And I was like, oh, my God. You know, you can imagine kid in a candy store. So my wife and my son, who wanted, who was going to wear Nikes, by the way, uh, I had to, like, really get on his case. 
uh, how disrespectful that was going to be, yeah. you know. So we went, and the minute we walk in, and I've got, you know, photographs and video of this, the minute we walk in, David Beckham walks past us because he's there that day because he's an ambassador for the brand. He was there to chat with the employees. And I guess that's part of his thing to go and visit the headquarters now and again and stuff like that. So I was able to have a little, I, I was able to stop him and get a photo with, not with me, but my son, my son didn't know who he was. Um, and then throughout the rest of the day, we walked the campus and it was really hot. It was, it was like 90 something degrees and there's no air conditioning, not as much air conditioning in Europe as there is over here, you know, where you are. So it was really hot inside that day. And they gave me a tour of the, the campus, various uh, rooms, little secretive places where they develop things and, you know, everything's in black. The model's all black because no one, if anyone gets a picture of it, it's hard to, you know, what is that? Mm -hmm. And then I got to go and then they took me into the archive, which is just like a, a big fridge. You know, you go through a door and in you go and everything's on shelves in like these plain boxes with like reference numbers on. And I do have a couple of pictures of that visit on my Instagram. But some of the stuff I was able to see there, uh, like Muhammad Ali's boxing boots, which he'd signed, uh, Steffi Graf models, real like iconic Adidas models. And, and they have so much stuff there that has not been released. But there's also so much that they don't have. It would be impossible to catalog every model, you know. So we spent the whole day there and they gave me some goodies on the way out. And, you know, it. all this came from me doodling about with a model and... You know, so it's a case of like, who knows whoever's going to contact you. But I know for a day or two, I didn't believe. I thought someone was winding me up. You know, I was Googling this guy and making sure he was real. And because so I didn't fall flat on my Facebook. For someone that's into the brand, has been for a long time, it was a real highlight. To, to have you know to be able to take part in something like that so now when i see that that model out in in the stores you know now it's all in different colors and this that and the other it's like well hey it's based on that 2002 model that's sitting in the box in my room you know so that's that story very very cool and obviously an amazing opportunity Cool that you got to go with your your family too. I was going to ask if you have any other interesting or special opportunities you you came that have come about. Maybe as the result of your page, or maybe it was as a result of your connections or friendships. You know, a lot of the the things I remember aren't necessarily even picking up shoes. There are events or people or friends I've made. I'm sure the community is a big part of what you do too. But maybe you have some some interesting stories. Well, yeah. 
it's it's funny because I was just over in the UK for about seven weeks, and um, while I was there, there was size were holding an event in Liverpool, and I, I was able to go that to go to that, and I would I chatted with several people from size and they contacted me after I got back because size recently released a, a TRX 85 and I did a, a story for them. I, I got all my old vintage TRX models out from the eighties and they kind of tied my collection into the release of the TRX 85. And it just seemed to me that, because of the brand I'm into, it's so much more popular in the UK than it is in, in, in where I am, you know. And I think that's, I think that's proven by when you go into stores here, the, the limited selection of of Adidas models, and also how dominant Nike is. I remember a couple of years ago when my son was into basketball. And we'd go into these gyms and there'd be 70 or 80 kids about to play, you know, in various games that evening. And I always used to look at their footwear or you just naturally you look at their footwear. And I would say, let's just say 80 kids. I would say three or four might be wearing Under Armour. If I could see two wearing Adidas, that would be like, what's happening here? And the other 70 plus was all Nike. So when you've got such a dominant force uh, in the country where you are, then it, it permeates into what's available at the stores. It permeates into the culture. So it's, I don't get to meet up a lot of Adidas fans in the United States. I'm sure they're out there. And if they are out there and they're listening, hey, send me a message but when i go to the uk while obviously nike is popular and other brands are popular where i went to and where i come from adidas is still a, a fairly dominant player not only in what people like and want to buy and wear but also in the selection in the stores uh I would say, without exaggeration, 80% of the stuff that I was seeing in, in the UK, you cannot get in the United States without getting it shipped in from, from Europe. Yep. And I'm talking basic models here. I'm not talking about, you know, collaborations or limited editions. And so it's just, you know, when I was, I've spoken with Adidas people and they'd really love to get a foothold in the United States, you know, and, and and start to. And I know that they've made some inroads with with NMDs and Boost and you know Yeezys, but that's a drop in the ocean compared to what what's really available, you know, in the rest of the world. You know, if I if I go into a finish line or a, a, a Champ Sports, I can buy a couple of pairs of Superstar. Maybe a Stan Smith or two, a Forum, maybe a Top 10, sometimes maybe a Gazelle. And, and then it starts to really filter out around there, you know. And it's just, it's so funny. There, there was a, back in the 1984, Adidas released a shoe 
called Spirit of the Games. It was a nylon running shoe. And it was to celebrate the LA Olympics. It was released in Europe. I couldn't find it in the United States. It was just like an odd. We're celebrating the, the Olympics in 84 in LA, you know. And there was a whole clothing line that came out with it as well. There was like a symbol that said Spirit of the Games. So probably nine times out of ten, I've got to get my stuff shipped in, you know, yeah. if I want it. It's just, uh, you know, you may be familiar with that situation as well. So sure. for an Adidas fan, I know it's just one of those things. You know, it is what it is. It's been like that for a long time. It's nothing new. I just wish and I hope that now that JD Sports has acquired finish line, that some of the stuff that's over in Europe will, and I'm starting to see a slow transition in the finish line stores to the JD format. And I, in fact, when I was in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago, I went into a JD store. That's the very first JD store I've been into into the into the in the United States. So hopefully some of that stuff will make it over the pond and, and you know into the slipstream of, of America. But uh, until it happens, you know, I'd say out of all these pairs behind me, I'd say maybe one in ten was acquired from the United States. Now, I've gotten quite a lot of vintage from the United States. Uh, you know a lot of the stuff from the 70s and stuff like that. So I've been able to pick up a lot of vintage, but a lot of the reissued stuff that I'm interested in never even makes it to, to the U.S. So, Yeah, you highlight an interesting dynamic that the sneaker world is so global, yet the two major markets for sneakers, or at least traditionally, I don't know about numbers, but when you think about sneaker culture, you the U.S. and the U.K., there's still this divide especially when it comes to brands i'm curious what it was like when you moved from liverpool to the u.s in the 1990s was it a shock in terms of what was available what people were wearing what you were wearing uh i'll tell you i've, I've got another funny story for you so back in the in the 90s there was a program in the uk uh, there was a couple of programs but basically it enabled young people in England or the UK to come over to, Mer to America and work at a children's camp for the summer. And the agency that you went with would pay all your expenses, your flight, they would get you your work visa, et cetera, et cetera. So I did the camp thing several times and each time I was in the U.S. for five or six, either five or six months, you know, after the camp had ended, because but you always had to get back to New York because that's where your return flight was from. So no matter where you were, you know, once I was in Tampa, Florida, I had seventy dollars to my name, and I had to get a Greyhound from Tampa to New York, uh, which is a long trip, you know. But back then. I had to do it. So on one of the camp trips, all the kids left after the, the summer was over. And they leave all kinds behind. Tennis rackets and books and clothing and you name it. They don't put their names in it. So you've got no idea who it belongs to. So one of the, 
responsibilities that we had after camp was to clean the place up. And I found a pair which I now know are Jordan sixes. Uh, they were white with red suede. Um, and they were the original. You know, this is these are OG. So I took them back to England with me. And I used to mow the yard in them. Uh, because they certainly weren't me at the time, you know. Now, I like to tell my son this story because if you want to see a look that's of a horrified teenager, <laughs> then to tell him that your dad used to mow the yard in a pair of OG Jordan, uh, Jordan sixes, then it's it's a great great way to have a little dig at him. And it's so funny because he has the, I know they've been reissued many, many times over the years, but yeah, his dad used to have the original pair. And uh, I always like to tell that story of that was really my introduction into Nike. You know, now I started to wear at that point, um, I think they were called Bruin. Uh, yeah. like, a, like a leather or nylon basic runner. I started wearing those and because there was an outlet that I could get them cheap and I bought several pairs cheap, like a green pair and a blue pair. They were like on clearance because they weren't the, the, the most prettiest of colors. So that's when I started to really take more notice, I guess. Now, Back also when I was a kid in the 80s, some of my friends were really into Nike. There was one guy in particular that was really seriously into their running shoes. There was a great shoe called the Internationalist that was blue with a yellow swoosh. There was another shoe called the Equator. There was a shoe called Columbia. And these were like Nike's high-end, top-of-the-line running shoes back then. And I always loved them. I never owned them but I always liked them. Now, I do have an internationalist in my collection. I'd love an Equator and a Columbia, but I think they've done the odd reissue of maybe one of them every now and again, but I, I used to really like the uh, originals. So it was at that point, really, that I guess, and obviously with McEnroe, I knew Nike as a company, but they were a relatively young company. You know, they only, what, 72-ish when they really started to become who they are. So when you think about their age compared to, you know, New Balance, Reebok, Puma, Adidas, some of these companies are, you know, approaching a century old. Or they were 40 or 50 years old by the time Nike got going. So... To do what they've done in such a short space of time compared to, you know, older companies has been somewhat remarkable, you know, and how they, the products that they offer and, and how they become so intertwined with, with people and certain, you know, sports and, you know, you name it. So when I moved to the States in the 90s, that's when it really, the light bulb went off of how dominant they were, you know. And then even more so now that I collect mainly Adidas 
and but I live in the swoosh world, you know, and my son is a Nike head. So I get I see both sides of it now. But I just know going back to when I, I did that trip to the UK recently, there just seemed so much more for me to get involved in um, with other people or, or with stores or whatever because of the Adidas connection, you know. So it's a little bit more little bit more difficult or I still haven't found everything I need to find, you know, to over here. So, but I, I know that people are out there and, and if they are, you know, just send me a message. Yep. And I'm sure on Instagram is a great place to, uh, to share information and, and find shoes and talk to people about it. Like you mentioned, but talking about your son, he's 15 how much of his passion is like yours and how much of it different? I'm curious, you know, obviously sneaker culture is pretty mainstream now. Nike's the leader. Jordan's the leader, especially in the United States. Is is his desire for Nike a little bit of a, you know, a, a reaction to your love of other brands? Or is he is he sort of in the mainstream? Does he does he flip shoes? Does he resell? What, what is his passion like? I think... Um... It's a little bit, a few of the things that you've mentioned, it's, he likes to trade, you know, when we went to the convention, he had a couple of pairs and he traded with some of the dealers for a few more pairs. And so he likes to wheel and deal a little bit. Uh, he has several pairs that he wears and then, you know, if he can buy a pair and then trade it for a babe hoodie. He will, and, you know, so he's kind of subsidizing his own wardrobe by wheeling and dealing, you know, where I, that's not me, you know, you know, I'm more, he doesn't know, and I'm not sure he's interested, it may come in a later life, more of the history. You know, of the, hey, this shoe right here, it first came out in this year and this guy used to wear it and then this happened and then they decided to reinvent the shoe and, you know, all the, the stories behind the model. He's not so interested in that yet. You know, it's all about the look. Uh, you know, can he trade, you know, a supreme t-shirt for there or, or supreme this and you know he's just in that phase of as i say subsidizing his own wardrobe right now so but everything that i own i'm not sure that he's liked any of them <laughs> uh, i think because i'll get you know i'll get a delivery in the mail and i'll open the box and i'll be like oh look at them and i'll say what do you think of them and he'll say god they're ugly or oh, man, they're this sort. So, so there's not a lot of... Now, while I'm completely on board with him and helping him, you know, with his swoosh obsession, I can't say that it's a two... It's, it's certainly... You know, it's an uneven balance right now, yeah. you know. My son said to me when we went to the first sneaker uh, convention a couple of weeks ago, he said, Dad please don't talk to these guys about vintage sneakers. They do not care 
and they do not want to talk about vintage Adidas. That's that's <laughs> that's what that's what he said to me before we got there. You know, so he thinks I'm a dinosaur, and you know, and I, I said to him, I said, Geo, these guys that are selling these shoes at these conventions are all in their twenties. I know that those guys would not care one iota about a pair of 50-year-old Stan Smith made in France. You know, <laughs> he, he, he might even say, who's Stan Smith? I think there's a, a phase um, in teenagers' lives where, you know, it's, it's definitely not about wearing something subtle, wearing something... Um, you know, like a like a superstar. Although you know, you see teenagers wearing them. I think you know, there's a time where you you want the you know the latest and greatest, and and you you want the the brands, and you want them big. And it sounds like maybe maybe he's in that he's in that phase. So what do you do? You said you've been to a few conventions. Are you mostly as a as a, as a driver and a supporter and a, and a observer and making sure everything goes down smoothly or or do you have some interactions there because i know there's not not maybe too much for you right there there's, there's a couple of uh, prongs of attack first of all i want my son to to learn more about the shoes and maybe how to wheel and deal and and uh you know see what's coming out, see what's hot, see what's not, you know, learn about, it's okay just, you know, pressing buy on the internet, you know, but I really wanted him to see how that whole other culture, that subculture from, from of the sneakers is, you know, how the buying and the selling and the wheeling and the dealing and, and all that, I really wanted him to, and plus he loves going. You know, he really wants to go. And I and I enjoy seeing him, you know, happy or if he makes a bad deal, you know, we talk about, you know, why did you do that? And, you know, so it's learning for him. And I wanted to learn more also, you know, because I, you know, I consider myself reasonably knowledgeable about multiple brands. And I'm not completely ignorant of Nike's history. I, you know, I know, I know, I know enough to have a conversation with someone, but not an expert. You know, and so I wanted to learn more. And then there are possibly some business opportunities down the line uh, that that may or may not come to fruition. Uh, that's also why I wanted to go and talk with the vendors and, and the people that host these events. But ultimately, it's, it's just nice for a dad. Uh, my wife has zero interest. I mean, I'm talking zero interest in traipsing around a large warehouse all day, talking to guys about shoes, you know. Now... So while it may not be ultimately my brand, it's still in my wheelhouse of fun, you know. So for me to take my son, you know, we stay in a hotel, we go, go out to eat. And all we do for on the trip down there, on the trip back, all we talk about is shoes. So it's good for him to learn. And it's so funny, every now and again, he comes up to me and says, hey, dad, 
you want to know something about sneakers? And I'll be like, okay, go on then, you know. Uh, and then he, and because he forgets, you know, he sometimes forgets because he's has zero interest in what I'm doing, really. And he may appreciate it when he's older, but it's so funny. Every now and again, he comes up to me with a, with a question like, uh, like, Dad, have you ever heard of a, have you heard of Bape? It's like, come on, man. I said, I had an Adidas Bape collab in 2003. They brought out these super ape skates and they did some superstars. And he's like, he said, you've heard of Bape? I was like, yeah. You know, like, like, I, like I've just crawled from under a rock. I know, I'm, <laughs> I know I'm your dad, but I'm not finished quite yet. You know, that's certainly cool when uh, when they realize that, <laughs> you know, something that they don't know, because even my nine year old, he thinks he thinks he knows everything. And even sometimes when it comes to sneakers, he thinks he knows and he's not nearly as in, into it as your son uh, yet. But that's amazing that you guys have that bond. And, you know, there is like you said, there's that sort of universal love. You may you may be passionate about different brands and and, you know, not be looking for the latest Travis Scott collab like he may be. But there's so much more you can share, um, you know, the experience the being there. And I think it's so cool that you guys do it. So, uh, yeah, really appreciate you, you sharing those stories. You mentioned your wife a little bit, not into going on the conventions what about wearing shoes? Does she wear sneakers at all? And even more interesting, I'm even more interested to find out what she thinks of the piles and looks quite neat, you, but you, the, the, you know, the storage she, situation. <laughs> she is, uh, you know, I've obviously bought her a few pairs over the years and she wears pair, pairs to go to the gym. But besides that, just a regular, regular sneaker wearer, usually for if it serves a function, you know, and really with when the, I've got to admit, extremely supportive. Um, never any, you know, moaning, oh, all those shoes in that room, are you out of your mind? Like, you, you know, whatever you think could be said. It's never, it's never been any of that, you know. Um, the way I look at it is, we all have our thing, you know, uh, hers might be something else or this or that, and yours might be this and that person's might be this. And so, you know, she's been pretty supportive of it. Yes, yeah, it, it can be, especially when I used to buy everything under the sun. I mean, there was a period probably between 2001 and 2010 uh, and a lot of my reissue collection is from that period um, where I was just a fiend, just, you know, buying everything in sight. And I used to have an account with the Adidas store in Soho up in New York. Soho uh, it was on Worcester Street in New York. There was, I think it's still there. Back in the early 2000s, they used to get shoes that, I couldn't find online in the States. And whenever I was up in New York, I'd pop in and I'd chat with the staff. And there was one guy in particular that used to help me all the time. And he allowed me to have just put my credit card on file with him at the store. So what I would do was, you know, so the, yeah, this is like 17 years ago, really, you know, back before a lot of stuff was available on the web, really, almost. And um, I used to just call up and say, hey, 
did you guys get this in? He was like, yeah. He said, do you want it? I said, yeah. And you just ship it out to me, you know. And then, so I was able to get away with that for a few years. And then when Adidas.com became a little bit more prominent, they closed any kind of accounts down or, or they just frowned upon the stores, you know, doing that kind of thing. So I, I had a, an outlet was cut off for me. And, but I've had other ones over the years, you know, where, where I've got to know the owners of a store and, and they've helped me out and, and, you know, getting things and stuff like that. But as I say, there was a period where I was a bit of a, a beast buying a lot of reissues and then it slowed down over time and as I say I'm now at the point where I'm a lot more picky on what I buy it's it's got a it's got to serve a, a, as a, an excitement or, or a need to want to add to the collection or, or some kind of a a reason why you know instead of just oh it's just another pair another pair another pair you know because I think, you know, I'm looking at my Gazelle collection as I talk to you, and I think I've got maybe 75 pairs of Gazelle. Um, going, starting in 1970, you know, through made in West Germany, made in Austria, made in Yugoslavia. Then we transition into the, uh, the early 90s where they started to be made overseas, you know, in, in Asia. And then you've got, you know, I've got a pair made in Canada. Did you know that they used to make uh, the Adidas had a factory in Canada? I did not. Um, yeah, they they got some of them quite highly desirable models, the Canadian mm. models. They made Rom, they made a Gazelle, uh, they made some really nice quality shoes from the Canadian side. But, uh, speaking of Canada, I'll show you this little odd find. So you remember the Olympics in in 76, were they in Montreal? Yep. This right here oh, wow. is a steward's outfit from the 1976 Olympic Games. So that's like an the, official, what, a, what an Olympic official would wear in like a, a mustard sort of track suit. Wow. You see that? Yeah. Corporate image, it says on the tag. Made so in Canada. This right here came with a dress, a skirt, a belt. They also did sneakers. It came with I don't have the sneakers, but I have the rest of the outfit. So mm. obviously at some point Adidas probably licensed out the uh the brand to be able to produce those for the stewards. And if you look back at the 76 Olympic pictures, you'll see the guys in bright orange trousers. You know, very 70s. So that was an odd find on, on eBay years ago, you know. And while it's not a usual acquisition, to me it was a bit quirky and a little bit, you know, a bit of history to it. So, and it wasn't wasn't a lot of money, you know, it wasn't super expensive by any means. But if something like that comes into my field of view, then I may buy it. You know, just because of it's uh, it's not the norm. You know, how many people do you know have a bright orange stewards outfit from the Montreal Olympic Games? So, if it floats my interest, I'm interested. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that uh, 
you know, not to stereotype the younger generation, but when it comes to, you know, learning from from collectors like you is that, you know, unique, that sort of individuality. And I think I think everyone comes around to it uh, eventually. And, um, you know, there's part of the culture that, you know, you, you, you want the latest and greatest, but there's also part of it that there's some history and 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 to find certain things unique. I, I'm sure we could go on for longer and maybe I can get you back on next time to share more of these experiences and and some of your unique finds, because I, I'm, I'm sure you have you have lots of them. But uh, but for now, I'll, I'll let you go and thank you again very much for your time and coming on. I know a lot of people will be very interested to hear what you have to say. So thanks a lot. Okay. Well, first of all, you know, thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, I could literally be here all day and night and <laughs> over the weekend. So, you know, in the future, if you if you want more to if you want someone to babble on more. I could babble on um, and, you know, thanks for the opportunity and I really look forward to hearing it and it was great to meet you. You too. And I will definitely take you up on it. We've had lots of part twos and I would love to do a part two with you um, even soon if you have the time. So that would be sure. Great. I want to send a big thank you to Julian for coming on the podcast. You can find him at Dassler's Finest, D-A-S-S-L-E-R-S Finest on Instagram. You can find me at Heads Ain't Ready. Sneaker Dads is on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter, as well as at sneakerdads.com. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening. Later. Later.